0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is the leadership training session. Uh, we're very excited to to have you all and to bring this program to you. Um, I'm Rebecca Bridges, and I'm the chair of the leadership training committee. Uh, we have an awesome committee, and I I want to thank them for all that they've all contributed this year, and all that we continue to, you know, all that you all continue to do. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce them um, before we get started so we have artist bazin from california we have julie brandon from washington donna brown from west virginia art cabanilla from hawaii kim charleston massachusetts sarah conrad wisconsin doug powell from virginia matt selm from kentucky jeff tom california sheila young florida Our officer liaison is Ray Campbell from Illinois, and our staff liaison is none other than Cindy Hollis from the Minneapolis office. And uh, the group might talk about it a little bit later, but in addition to this program, we have worked, we're working very hard to bring, you know, our role as a committee is not only to bring this program to you um, at the conference and convention, but we also have a number of other webinar. Uh, series that we are planning and working diligently on to bring to you as leaders in the organization. Uh, We know there is a significant need. You've told us uh, over the course of some different activities we've done to, to query and get your feedback. So we know that training is a need within the organization. And so we are working very hard to put together some other programs. So you'll be hearing more Um, after this convention about some additional programming from our training group, uh, our committee. Some of the topics, there will be some additional, so today's is um, on conflict resolution, uh, and that is one in a series of webinars uh, that we'll be giving over the course of the next number of months. We've also got some training planned on mentoring, uh, leadership mentoring, uh, train the trainer, onboarding and officer transitions, and fiscal responsibilities. So those are some other things that you can um, stay tuned for and look forward to in the coming months. And with that, um, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Donna and the rest of the group. Thank you. Okay, I have the
1: beginning CEU code, and I'll say it twice. It's five characters. It's 2C is in Charlie, 937. And again, it's 2C is in Charlie, 937. Toward the end, I'll give the ending code.
2: All right. Well, this is Julie Brannon, and I'm going to introduce the training today. We are kind of a subcommittee of the big leadership committee that Rebecca talked about. And in thinking of all of the topic areas, we thought, what is the right one to present at convention? And we decided one of the primary things that any leader, no matter what capacity you're a leader in, has to deal with is conflict. So we brought this one up front. We have a catchy name for our training. It's can't we all get along? Well, usually that's a problem. (laughs) Anyone who's been a leader in any capacity, leader in your home, leader at the workplace, leader in an organization, knows that dealing with people because people are so different and have different ideas, different reasons for being part of something, on and on, you end up dealing with conflict. And unless you're able to manage conflict and work toward that resolution, you can something can be destroyed. A family can be destroyed, a workplace or an organization. We're focusing, of course, on the organization today because that's what we're all a part of is the American Council of the Blind. So here we go. I'd like to introduce the subcommittee. It's been a phenomenal committee to work with. We've worked very hard since January. I was looking back in our previous meeting notes, and we started working in January. And we have Jeff Tom and Sarah Young, Doug Powell and Sheila Young. So we've got quite a crew and myself. So we have quite a crew here. As far as the training goes, we're going to have three components to the training. And I'll just kind of outline briefly what they are. The first one is conflict resolution made personal. And this is focusing on the conflict part. What is conflict? What does it mean? How do we end up in it, etc.? And that's going to be Jeff and Sheila presenting that for you. The next component is conflict resolution, looking at the art personality plays in conflict issues. I'll be presenting that today, but When we have ongoing ones, and I'll talk to you about that in just a moment, um, Sarah will be presenting at those. So Sarah and I are kind of taking that part. Our last component is conflict resolution. It's called examining assumptions. And this is going to be looking at where we're coming from and how that adds to conflict, our ideas, et cetera. And Doug is going to be working on that. So. That's how we're doing the outline for today. This is kind of just a beginning to whet your appetite in regard to conflict resolution. We plan to go deeper and we plan to take all of these topic areas eventually on subsequent webinars webinars, and go deeper and talk more in detail. So we hope that today you feel like, oh my gosh, I wanna learn more. Hopefully, hopefully you don't say I've learned enough because we wanna continue on and go deeper in all of these areas. We have some documents in the download document section, uh, just letting you know that you'll find the kind of an outline of the training. You'll find one that overviews the DISC personality model that we'll be talking about today. And you'll find a ladder of inference document that Doug will be using in his, um, in his component. Also, after this is over for the personality part, you're gonna have a personality assessment that you can take yourself. And I'd recommend maybe you ask other people in the organization if they're willing to take it, because you're going to understand once we broach on the topic today how much personality makes a difference in, in conflict. The particular assessment that Sarah and I have located relates a lot to the workplace, but I can tell you that you can relate it to your organization and any other part of the leadership realm that you're involved in. So that will be available to you after our segment today. All right, and I'm gonna stop talking, yay, <laughs> and go to component one. And this is gonna be Jeff and Sheila.
3: Okay, thank you. So this is Jeff Tom. I'm obviously I'm going to begin. And happy Fourth to everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, one other thing about that document is at the end of near the end, I should say, of today's presentation, we are going to present a conflict scenario to you. And we will read it in its entirety, but if you have the document pulled up, you can look at it on your own. So I would encourage you to do that if it's accessible to you. So you know I'm I'm first because I'm the simplest one of the folks in this panel. Um I don't want to put it any other way, but maybe simple is the easiest way to do it. And Donna, if we have a couple hands raised, you can let them know and they can unmute themselves.
4: Oh, okay. Chris. Hi. Um, I would say that to me a, a conflict is is a situation where two or more people are not willing to understand each other.
3: Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Good to see you, Chris. Thank you, Jeff. Kia, All right.
5: I think the con- one of the conflicts I found out is that, you know, most people don't want to follow instructions. They want okay. to do things their way.
3: All right. Thank you. <laughs> You're Let's take welcome. one more person.
5: This is Penny from Birmingham. I think of a conflict as a disagreement between two people and how to look at a situation. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons
3: for the conflict, but it's basically a disagreement. And you happen to have got the, def- the definition from the dictionary because the dictionary says pretty much the same thing, although there's no right answer. Um, a conflict can be any of these things. I think, you know, the old saying about the only two things that are certain are death and taxes, they should add uh, several more. And one of them is definitely conflict because there is conflict all over society. What what are some examples of, of conflicts that we see in everyday America? Convention planning. Convention anybody want to just give us a, an example or two? Do we have any hands?
5: We have a lot of hands. Yes, we okay, do. So,
3: well,
6: give us three. Sean,
5: deal, you should be allowed to talk.
6: I was okay, just going to say that conflict is people just not understanding where other people are coming from, from and so locked on their own view of what, how they think something should be that they're not considering the okay. point of view of other Fair people.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. We'll take one more.
7: So this is Sadja from Hawaii. Uh,
3: nice. One of the
7: examples, yeah, hi
5: that came to mind is about uh, abortion, pro-life and pro-choice. This conflict has been going on for so
6: many years.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, in order to move on, there are obviously so many things in which we see conflict. We see conflict over, you know, social justice issues. We see conflicts over labor issues. Today, the labor issues, you know, include all the you know, owners of sports teams versus the players of sports teams as we figure out how to deal with the pandemic. You know, you you name it, society is fraught with conflict, but we are focused on conflict that comes about in our chapters and affiliates. And so for that, I'm going to turn it over to Sheila.
5: Thanks, Jeff. Okay, so to make it short and sweet for today's session what we're focusing on is what types of conflicts would you see within your affiliate? So does anybody have a couple words description of what you perceive as a conflict within your affiliate? Yep. And we have hands again. So the um, first hand here that I see
4: is Chris Coulter. Hello, I'm now a member at large, but I I have been a chapter member, and I've I've noticed in many chapters that I've uh, been a part of, and others that I haven't, the big conflict seems to be um, having to do with the formality of the meetings. And whether that is necessary, or whether we can just run it kind of freewheeling, without a lot of parliamentary procedure and things.
5: Okay. Well, thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Chris, so we have another hand. Jamia. Uh,
7: my, my name is Jamaica, and I, I am.
2: I wanted to share a quick thing about conflict about about where we about where we wanted to have our have have our meet have our our convention
5: that that's my that that is my comment okay so communication within your affiliate correct okay thank you Jamaica Jamaica Miller has left a meeting we might have time for one more quick one (laughs) hi this is Becky what types of conflict would you see within your affiliate the conflict I'm in part of several different affiliates but um, conflicts that I see
8: Um, not just with ACV, but other areas, is um, people not willing to change and um, just kind of stay, we're doing it because we've always done it Um, and not branching out
5: into exploring new uh, possible opportunities. Okay, well, thank you so much. Well, I I guess our turn's over and it's time for Julie and Sarah to take over. All right.
2: For this segment, I'm going to be talking about the um, DISC personality model. And what I'm going to do is give some information first and then ask for questions when I'm done and ask for comments when I'm done. There's quite a bit of personality typing out there, and you can see all kinds of different ones. This is one that was developed by William Marston, 1928. And it kind of um, it does the four personality thing. It talks about D for dominance, I for influence, S for steadiness, and C for conscientiousness. Another model that I really like, because I think it describes it a little better, I'll just tell you the words, the D is driver, Um, the I is a promoter and the S is a supporter and the C is an analyst. So you can do all kinds of different ones. Of course, Myers-Briggs with the 16 components is really popular, but we're going to look at this briefly. When you're thinking of personality, you want to think of yourself, who am I? Because who you are and your personality type will make a difference how you approach conflict. And then you definitely want to think of the other person involved that's involved in the conflict. Or if you're a third party trying to resolve a conflict between two people, you want to look at those two people along with yourself. Please know a lot of people, when you start talking about personality assessments or profiles, they feel like you're pigeonholing them and telling them that this is who you are and you can't be anything else. And believe me, you guys, that's not true. And nor is personality intrinsically bad or good. It's just who we are. It's just a reality. And believe me, there are strengths and I'll call them stretches in every personality type. I first took a personality assessment in the seventies. It was so funny. I called my best friend after it and I said, I don't like my personality type. I want to change. <laughs> so anyway, don't worry. That's who you are. You can work on yourself. And you. the most important thing is to know who you are and understand how to work with other people within this personality typing. I'll just go briefly through some of these. The D is dominance. Dominant people or drivers, whatever you want to call them, are very results-oriented people. They're get it done. They have a get-it-done approach. They set high goals. They love to accomplish them. They tend to focus on immediate goals, and they may overlook long-term effects. They're very decisive. They're very in charge. In fact, the truth is, if they're not in charge, they're uncomfortable. Then you have the I for the influence person, and this person is the most flamboyant of the personality types. They're bold. They tend to be dramatic visionaries. They're high energy. They can easily overpower others. They're animated, they're vocal in social settings, and they very much enjoy contact via phone, email, or in person. In other words, just have contact. They tend to be assertive and impulsive. They can advocate more than they inquire, and they tend to talk more than they listen. The S is for steadiness, and this person's easygoing, they're people-oriented, they like to work with others. They're generous with their time, and they're very good at encouraging other people. They're unpretentious, and they tend to prefer working behind the scenes. They like stability and structure and routine. If you want to upset an S, just demolish their routine. They can be indecisive. They're uncomfortable with risk taking or being in charge. They might withhold opinions just to uh, because they're afraid of being disapproved of or confrontation. The last one is the C, which is conscientiousness. And this person's a perfectionist, often to the point of being critical. They tend to be well-organized. They love data. They're task-oriented. They prefer to work alone or in a small group. They tend to look for certainty when making decisions, and they tend to procrastinate. They like to think before they speak. They offer indirect opinions they analyze all sides of situations decision making is slower and decisions are often qualified you may look at this and think well i don't fit in any of those exactly i'm not a pure you know disc and you might know people that are not pure there most of us are not and most of us have like a primary and a secondary personality typing there's actually 12 types i'm not going to go through the the know the single ones because we just did but let me go through some of the combinations because i think you'll see yourself more in that if you're a dc meaning that you're a dominance and a conscientious you like to challenge your results oriented and you like accuracy if you're a di dominance and influence you like action your results oriented and you're enthusiastic now if your i is first and your d is second you like action, you're enthusiastic, and you're results-oriented. If you're an IS, and that means the influencer or the steadiness, you like collaboration, you're enthusiastic, and you support people. Now, if you're an SI, meaning that your S is dominant and your I is secondary, you like collaboration, you like support, and you're enthusiastic. If you're an SC, which would mean the steadiness and the conscientious, you like stability, you'd like to support, and you like accuracy. But if you're a CS, meaning that your C is dominant and your S is secondary, stability, accuracy, and support are what define you. If you're a CD, meaning that C is your dominant and D your secondary, You like challenge and accuracy and results. So as you can see, most of us are a combination of both. And it's very interesting. It makes you understand yourself better. Often they do the DIS personality on a grid. What they say is that the two top ones are going to be your extrovertish personalities and the bottom ones your introvertish. I used to think before I started studying that extrovert meant people who talk all the time. And introverts are people who are quiet. It's not true, you guys. An extrovert is someone who's energized by interaction. And an introvert is someone who is energized by time alone. I have known many people who call themselves an introvert. And in a crowd, they talk more than anybody I know. That means and I've talked to an introvert about it. And I said, don't tell me you're an introvert. And he goes, oh, but I am. And I said, how can you be so on in social settings? And he goes, because I'm playing a role. He goes, it's a playing role for me, but it isn't energizing me. He goes, after these social situations, I have to go home and have some private time for quite a while before I can go back to another one. And then I'm just going to briefly go how to approach each of these personality types in a conflict situation. If you're approaching a dominant person who's like pretty much pure dominant, you want to approach the issue head on with them. They are willing to handle confrontation. In fact, they'll respect you more if you will confront them in regard to what the situation is. They can't stand you beating around the bushes, around the bush. They prefer conflict in the open. And if you have a conflict with this type of personality, it says, don't be afraid to approach them or disagree head on. Strong-willed, d style personalities can sometimes be a bit intimidating, especially in confrontation situations. So you want to not be afraid, though, and they'll appreciate you and respect you more if you deal with the conflict with them immediately and head-on. Not that it's easy, especially for conflict-avoidant people. If you have conflict with an influence person, like a pure
7: eye, conflict with these
2: people, it's best to be handled with a light touch. This is the one thing that this personality needs. They want you to tackle the discussion about any problems with an I person after you've approached them in a positive way. You need to be positive. Conflict with these people is best handled, like I said, with a light touch. People with this kind of personality, they're outgoing and energetic. They love interacting with other people, and they're genuinely happy to be talking to anyone, anywhere. But there is one thing that this personality can't stand, and that's rejection. So if you can deal with the conflict with that ira person i person and help them think that you're not rejecting them you're just talking to them about the issue you'll go a long ways if you're dealing with conflict with the s or with a a steadiness person they say try to work together to find common ground the s person does much better at compromise the s person they're peacemakers they like harmony Um, But they really do well with compromise. If you can come to that S person and say, hey, why don't we do a little bit of this and a little bit of that? And we'll come to a compromise. Each of us is going to have to give and take a little. It really works very well. And I can tell you, um, I'll just tell you my personality. I'm an IS. And that S part of me loves to work on compromises when dealing with conflict. Because to me, that's a win-win. Then we have the conscientious part of the C part. And if you have a conflict with the C person, you want to attack the problem and not the person. It's very interesting that C people seem kind of rigid and inflexible, and they can be kind of hard to deal with. They're so into their numbers and details. Oh my goodness, and for people who are flamboyant and more emotional, it can be kind of difficult. But the C personality, they need to know that you respect them they need to know that you've done your study, that you've done homework. Do not come to a C and start jabbering all over the place and not having your facts together. You're going to lose them. You'll lose them before you even start. They will not even listen to you. So if you're an I personality who tends not to like detailing and facts and you go to that C person without your facts, you, you aren't going to win. And that person, that C person, they really can't think that you're attacking them personally because if you do, you're going to lose them they'll go out of their way to avoid you. So those are kind of some, um, and I, I'm gonna send out more information I can. We can put that on the download site with details about more conflict. I think on the initial thing I said, I just talked about you know each personality type, but there's um, information on each personality type in how each of these personality types acts under stress. And that's just important. I'm gonna go through this quickly you know what, I think I'll just send the stress thing to you (laughs) because I'd like to ask questions and get comments. So why don't we open it up for questions and comments?
6: And Sarah is going to help me answer these questions. Sean Fields? What I was going to say on personality is that um, just remember that it can change. I noticed that as I have gotten more comfortable with who doing what I want to do and my anxiety has gotten out, has kind of stepped back and I've been able to tell it to go away and let me do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. I find now that there's less that I'm willing to put up with mm-hmm. and that I don't that I I'm more okay with, you know, doing what needs to be done in, and not just kind of like, Oh, well, I'm just going to avoid this cause I don't want to deal with it. So I mm-hmm. just remember personalities can, Change as circumstances change, and as your view of yourself changes,
2: very much. You know what I think you're saying, Sean. Is we can all work on what our our stretches are, depending on maturity. I think life changes, circumstances and roles change, and we can we can definitely work on those areas. Definitely.
3: Thank you. All right, hi. This is Doug, and I'm here in Jacksonville, SLA Thank you for taking my call, Mike. Quick question would be, okay, after all is said and done, and I'm hearing all of the different types of personality, where do we, where do we find a happy medium through all that we go through? And thank you for taking my call.
2: One minute. And that's a good question. <laughs> um, the happy medium, I think, comes when you understand who you are and understand who the other personalities are and can work together. I'm going to just do a really quick scenario, very quickly, before we end, and it's it's going to be taking a vacation in the car that indicates the personality types. Real quickly, we've got the I, the D and the I in the front seat, the extroverts and the people, and we've got the S and the C in the back seat, and these are the introverts and the uh, non-people people we're going on a trip and the d says okay we're going to florida the i says no i have a better idea let's go to hawaii the s says no, no why don't we hawaii and florida why why don't we try and go to both and the c says nope it's too many miles to here and it's too many miles to there in just a minute let me get the details out and i'll tell you where we're really going. anyway that's all i have thank you very much and now we have doug
9: and Doug is going to talk about our assumptions. Yeah, Doug, uh, 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 I'm talking to the other Doug who just asked the question about happy medium. I think you might be able to find some uh, information, helpful information uh, in what I'm going to present. Because uh, another thing that I think that we're talking about is um, misunderstandings, okay? So, um assumptions, misunderstandings, um, all of those, you know, are sort of the same thing. So, um, so yes. I'm going to present something called the ladder of inference as a tool to understand how our mind works and how we develop, um, our assumptions and jump to some conclusions sometimes. Um, and, uh, and what, when that gets us in trouble, how we can sort of uh, take a look at how we got there and, and make some adjustments. So um, first of all, I want to uh, sort of tell you a joke that's uh, meaningful to this conversation. Um, uh, Excuse me, this. Doug. Someone thanks. is breathing really
1: Yeah, heavily. we're trying to get him, We're, we're trying, trying to find it. Muted. We're, we're trying uh, to,
3: okay.
9: I'm so sorry. sorry. Yes. So, uh, psychologists, you know, sometimes do, uh, do experiments with rats where they put them in, uh, put them in, uh, uh you know, in, in, an area and there are tunnels going off of this area. And, uh, let's say, you know, let's say there are five tunnels and they put cheese in, in tunnel number three. So the rat sniffs around in one and two and, you know, or maybe they started at the other end at five and four. And then they finally get to uh, tunnel three. They get the cheese. They say they're happy. So, and then uh, the, the human uh, takes them out and, and says, "Okay, that, that's one run." So, and then the, the rat will—you know—they'll do successive runs, and the rat will go down several tunnels and go, get to three and find the cheese again. And you know, eventually, they learn that the cheese is down tunnel three, and they won't go to any other tunnels. They'll go straight to three. And then the, the psychologists or you know the the experimenters will take away the cheese, and the rat will go down number three. They won't find the cheese. Um, they'll sniff around and make sure that it's not there. You know, they'll do all sorts of behaviors, and uh, they may even go down other tunnels to look and you know make sure they're in tunnel three, and you know all those kinds of things. Um, but if, uh, and the the, uh, the punchline of the joke is that eventually the rat will figure out that the cheese is not there. Human beings will go down that tunnel forever because they have beliefs and they have uh, assumptions that, that that cheese is going to be there in tunnel three, one of these days because it was there before. So, uh, and I I think that's useful for us to, you know, to hear, for instance, and I'm going to give you some historical um, historical background on that. I mean, you know some some examples in history where it took hundreds of years for human beings to change their minds about a particular thing so for one um uh what remember you know i mean not remember because we weren't there but um people used to think that the heavens revolved around the earth and it took hundreds of years for them to realize that actually we're revolving around the sun and that that and the and the earth revolves and that kind of thing Another one is um, Columbus discovered America. It took us hundreds of years to uh, either think that um, uh, Leif Erikson from Sweden uh, was, uh, you know, uh, was here first, or who were those people standing on the shore when Columbus got here? Wouldn't you say that they discovered America? So, you know, we're, we're changing our minds finally about about that. For, for a long time, the four-minute mile or breaking the sound barrier seemed impossible, but eventually, you know, eventually it happened. So we do take a long time to um, to, to change our minds about, about things that we're uh, passionate about or we have beliefs about, um, we've, um, you know, we've seen evidence of, uh, even though the evidence isn't isn't right. It's it's what we've seen, and so we ha- we hang on to those beliefs. So where do those assumptions come from? Uh, take a second and and just think about that. I'm not going to ask for responses because I want to keep moving here. But uh, where do those assumptions come from? Well, the ladder of inference, which is uh, a, a concept that a couple of people, uh, I think back in the 50s or 60s, uh, Paul Deming was one of them. Um, I, I read about it in uh, Peter Senge's book uh, called The Fifth Discipline. So you can find out more information about that if you want. Um, the ladder of inference was developed, and, and uh, people have different numbers of rungs of that ladder. I'm going I'm to explain it in four rungs. Um, but it, it's a way of explaining how we, uh, our minds put the, uh, put the physical universe together in our minds. So if we had to figure out how to uh, get out of bed, you know, newly every day, it would be a problem, wouldn't it? So what we want to do or what our minds do is, you know, they store that information. Okay, this was successful last time. So let's do it again. So so the minds are making these patterns all the time about all sorts of different situations. And then when the, the same situation or a similar situation comes up in the future, then they say, oh, I've done this or I've done something very much like this uh, before and it was successful the way I did it last time. So here's what, and so I'm gonna do it again, okay? Even if the circumstances have changed and that behavior is no longer useful, we still operate out of that, those assumptions and those, those past patterns. So, um, so this ladder is going to explain the process of how we put those patterns and habits together. Rung one is we select data, so we can't we can't take in all of the data that's coming at us all of the time, right? We're sitting in a room. We have the heat going or the air conditioning going. Um, we have uh, lights on. We have uh, you know uh, pets in the house. We have other people in the house. You know, so there's lots of stuff going on and we don't um, focus on those all the time. So we, we focus on a particular set of data and it may not be the right data, but it's what we, you know, what we select. OK, for example, it, uh, well, let me get to that later. OK, so rung two is we interpret that data. So this is happening and I think this about that. Okay. So we add, so we add meaning to what we're what we're perceiving, and then we uh, sometimes we make beliefs out of them or we make assumptions out of them, and um, then we can move on and uh, to rung three and we draw conclusions. Okay, so since I've seen this or heard this, and I um, I, I interpret it to be this, then what I should do is such and such. And especially, you know, based on my, you know, based on my successful uh, results from previous times, uh, I can be pretty sure that that's going to be right. And then, and rung four is acting. So we act out of that, those conclusions. So our minds create these ladders all the time. And um, let me, let me give you a quick example. When I was a young kid, I went to, um, neighbors' houses and relatives' houses and stuff like that. And I perceived that when I was in a house of, uh, the, of Jewish people, they would have their toilet paper coming off of the back of the roll. And when I went to uh, other people's houses uh, who were not Jewish, um, they had the toilet paper coming off the front of the roll. So obviously, as a young kid, I hadn't seen very many homes and, and stuff like that. But I developed, I selected that data, and I added meaning to that data. And I draw my conclusions. And now I didn't, I, I don't think I acted on that. You know, I didn't decide, oh, these people are Jewish just out of, you know, when they're how their toilet paper came off the roll. But, um, you know, I could have done that. So my, my point is that, our minds are doing that all the time, and we base our assumptions off of, uh, you know, off of the data that we have, but it may not be a sufficient amount of data to make a good, to make a good decision. So that m- moves us to, did you ever do something and, and get back something that you didn't expect? One minute. All of a sudden, you were in a, um, all of a sudden, you were in a conflict, you know, you just said something or responded to something. And it triggered something, or you got triggered, and all of a sudden, bango, you're in a you're in a conflict. So one one of the things, you know, one of the um, you you probably jumped an occlusion from a a wrong assumption, right? So how do we so uh, yeah, faulty assumptions can happen on each of the runs of a ladder, and what we need to do, how can we use the ladder to uh, examine our you know our assumptions? We can back down that ladder. And go back to our either selecting data, or how we interpreted that data, or the uh, the conclusions we came out of the past experiences. Is it really as close to the past experience as we thought it was? Or did you know? It, uh, is the situation different now that we need to change our, our pattern of behavior? So all of those things are ideas that you can use to try to get back to the place where you can uh, find common ground with the other person you're having conflict with. So I'm going I'm to leave it there. Um, the, uh, so I, I, I guess I, I think I'm going to open it up to questions now. Realize, as, as uh, Julie said at the beginning, we're planning on doing more in-depth um, uh, in, in-depth things in separate um, separate uh, webinars or, or calls in the future. So even if we don't get a, I hope, we hope you walk away with something today, but if you don't get it all, we hope to have other opportunities to, to interact with you and, and and flesh these out even more. So I'm going to stop here and uh, open it to questions. So if you have a question, <laughs> you, please raise your hand.
7: You probably have a minute or two for questions before we jump into the scenarios.
9: Okay, good. Thanks. Hi, Kasia.
7: Hi i just wanted to say with conflict sometimes you have to
0: recognize that you can't always take the pounding approach you have to be able to take a step back and like you say reevaluate the data sometimes uh, conflicts because conflicts can be internal and external understanding and finding out what the root is sometimes you have to recognize that um You have to understand the passion from which conflict comes, but you also have to be understanding to know how to de-escalate a situation when there is conflict.
9: Yeah, and that brings up, I think uh, you're sort of touching on it, I think that brings up the area of when people get angry, you know, conflict sometimes causes anger. And um, it's really useful to take a deep breath, to step back. And start questioning yourself, uh, you know, and questioning with the other person in a respectful way how you came to that conflict. You know, what, what are the assumptions that you made that uh, that can be dealt with and, um, you know, in, in, with cool heads? So I think that sort of talks to what you were speaking about, right, Keshe?
1: Marissa, I don't know how you pronounce that last name, but you should be able to unmute.
8: Okay, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. To the question, um, and my question is, um, say that after a group has been um, ravaged by, by conflict, and I mean a group of people working together, how do you flip the switch so that you can establish um, trust again among the group that has been ravaged by a uh, um, conflict,
9: well, that's, yeah. <laughs> you cer- that's you a dollar certainly question.
7: have million-dollar <laughs> question. <laughs>
9: <laughs> you certainly, have put your thumb on the, on the, uh, the sixty-four thousand-dollar question, haven't you? Um, different things work in different situations. I, I think that you know, uh, looking at personality types, working with people and personality types working with the data and working, you know, working with um, um, people's assumptions and that kind of thing. Um, Cause I think, I, I think a lot of the conflict comes from uh, misunderstandings and assumptions about the misunderstandings. And um, if you can get to the bottom of those and try to clean them up somehow, um, then, you know, then that's going to, I think that's going to move a lot toward, um you know toward toward resolution and, and uh reconciling um your uh, the bad feelings that have that have arisen but Doug, it's not, it's not easy
5: <laughs> Doug this is sheila can i throw something in here real quick please sheila um marissa one thing that i as the president of an affiliate have found is acb offers the affiliate an officer liaison to reach out to. And I think bringing in an impartial person a lot of times does help in situations that the table legs have been cut off and you can't get to the table to talk.
9: Great question, though. (laughs)
5: amen
2: (laughs) thank you Doug that was excellent and thank you everyone for your participation we have some scenarios we'll start with one that Jeff said he would read to us and we're going to ask all of you for input on how you would. get to do the resolution part now and utilizing the things that you've learned in today's training we'd like to hear from you how you're going to solve the problem that Jeff is going to read
3: okay and if you have the documents that we sent out that the, uh, janet sent out this is in them the southwestern metropolitan mid-state chapter of the american council of the blind is taking on the issue of how many if any social events the chapter should have each week. the first vice president homer pettibone age 79 and a retired bricklayer is of the view that there isn't time for fooling around on coffee breaks and pizza parties when services for blind folks are going down the tubes. Homer is a father of three, grandfather of 10, and has been married for 50 years. He may be, he he ran his household with an iron fist, but has always been very compassionate about helping those in need. The secretary, Juliana Castro, age 37, is also very concerned about advocacy. However, she is a very nurturing soul, a mother of two, a teacher, and someone who enjoys having a good time as much as she enjoys hard work. She loves baking cupcakes for the chapter and bringing them to the meetings, which Homer thinks is not only a waste of time, but also creates a mess that he has to help clean up. (laughs) Juliana would like to hold audio-described movie nights, potlucks, game nights, and whatever other social gatherings the chapter is interested in having. Juliana is firmly convinced that these events will help bring in more members and will bring people together and lessen the feelings of loneliness and isolation that many suffer. Homer says that he'll quit if we start having these social gatherings. The majority seem to like having some social events. But Homer is definitely not alone in his dislike of chapter social functions. How would you, as president, work at solving not only the underlying issue, but the rift between Homer and Juliana? So, do we have any hands raised?
9: Especially try to use the stuff that we've been uh, talking about today to absolutely to, to inform your, your answer. Has joined the right.
1: meeting. Yep, okay. Um, Regina Marie, you should be allowed to unmute.
3: Okay, my chapter president.
1: Hello. Okay. (laughs) Well, the first thing I would do is probably table the motion in a big meeting and try to talk to each person separately and try to see if either one of them were open to moving just a little. What I might propose is a time when we could write letters for legislative things and let Julie do her social thing during the letter writing. Party and just, I did that actually. Then it was pretty successful uh, at
2: kind of types. And uh, this okay. is really that's interesting. Everybody so you kind meeting. of came to a compromise and had two different events going on, and everybody were they happy with that solution?
9: She said, Yeah. Oh, she must Yes, up. they were.
4: Sounds like they were.
2: Great. <laughs> right?
4: Okay, the next
2: person is Chris Coulter.
4: Okay, I, I think that I'm a compromiser. Um, I'm, I'm a compromiser, a peacemaker. And I think what's important, first of all, to me, is to be able to get, um, at, encourage each of the two people to listen uh, to each other. And if I can, if I could take some time, perhaps in a, not so much in the chapter meeting or the public setting, but when I know this trouble is coming up, call each of them on the phone, get them together at my house, you know, something like that and say, okay, let's hash this out. You know, let's just talk about this. And and find out how we can find common ground on on this subject of uh, whether to have all those social events. You You
3: know, but that's to try and help each other understand that uh, both of them do have a point. Okay, you
1: ready for another one? Absolutely. Marissa, you should be able to unmute.
8: Um, one thing that I one thing that it that is very important here and the other folks have highlighted that it's important to um eat, uh, to hear each of the sides out and to hear their perspective. Um as president it's also important that um to make sure that both sides understand the function of the or the mission of the organization in other words that um yes the mission of the organization while it is to advocate for the rights of the of the blind community uh, the idea is also to um do things to connect members like um for example like we all connected with each other during the uh community call with the community calls during the uh, pandemics. Also, another thing, it's important that as president or as someone who is um, mediating this conflict, it's important to stay impartial. In other words, not take Juliana's side, not take um, the other person's side, but to remain, in, in to be transparent, uh, that is to remain um, impartial. Thank you so much.
3: Very good point. That's one of the most difficult things I think, to do when you're trying to resolve a conflict between two other parties is to leave your own biases out of it and remain a true objective mediator.
2: I'll say one thing real quick. Also, don't forget, as a president, you can call on other um, people in your chapter, other officers and board members and get their perspective and get them to assist
9: you also.
7: We have about
9: three minutes on this, but, but I, I want to caution to be careful that when you're talking to other people in chapter, it doesn't get to be clicks a gossip. Oh yes, very much. That, that can that can be destructive no as well. Absolutely.
5: This is Vicki Kennedy calling from Hawaii, and um, uh, I've I've always been taught that reasonable people can disagree, and I think that communication. Is the basis of of all uh, of of peacemaking, so to speak, and uh, I think that if we can speak with everyone, have all of their ideas up front, and and just kind of dissect the the good parts and the bad parts of it all, and we, we can hopefully come to a compromise.
3: So just a point. Oh, that was a great point, Vicky, by the way. But just another aspect of this is that you can't always resolve a conflict. Maybe Homer's gonna have to quit. You might not be able to please him. And if that's the way it ends up,
9: then that's you know, you you can use your best efforts. Well, the other thing I was going to ask is, does somebody have a way of using the personality types? Because we have definitely different personality types in this scenario. And is there something that you can think of that would speak to Homer's wish to make sure that, you know, we stay on our, you know, on the mission and Juliana's, you know, way of uh, nurturing people and still move forward?
4: Yes, see, I'm I'm the membership chair for our chapter, and I believe that social events uh, and, you know, also advocacy and doing all these other things are extremely important. So I believe you have to have a compromise also make peace and come to consensus.
3: Okay, thank you.
2: If I could just say the personalities, types that I would identify here, that might help us look down that route. I think you've got Homer. You've got him being a DC column, a dominance and conscientious. And I think you have uh, Juliana being an IM, an influencer and a supporter. So that might help us understand how to approach it.
4: Can you hear
9: me? Yes.
4: Uh, um, yeah, um, Doug and everybody, uh, this has been wonderful. Um, I would I would also have a mediator because I think that mediation is so important. I won't, wouldn't want the other person to quit, so I would have a mediator to resolve it.
9: Okay. Even before that, though... Uh, should we move on to another scenario? So uh, even before that, I've got one other comment that, that, that as a possibility, as we make our goals for our chapters, um, hopefully we're making, you know, uh, year, yearly goals for our chapters. And as we're developing those goals, we uh, should try to quantify activities that we can do in both of those areas that were brought up by the scenario and, you know, if people are heard and feel like there's movement in their direction, you know, there's no shortage. There's no conflict, really, between um, advocacy and, and social events. You can do both. Mm-hmm. So if we have goals in both of those areas, hopefully that's another way to make, you know, keep us honest in, in, um, in, in honoring both uh, both areas.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Thank you all so much. And that was an excellent scenario. We have a few more that we could try. Sarah, if you want me to read them, I will. Or if you want to, we could do one, two, or three, I think.
7: You know, I I think um, I'd like to pull in a scenario that is not only about conflict, but also um, a little bit about differences in culture, because that's a pretty common topic these days, not only in ACB, but elsewhere. So um, I'm going to read a scenario, and then we'll take... Um, some responses. You are hosting a blindness awareness event in your town. There are many people with guide dogs and canes in your local park for the event. There are other families enjoying the park who are not associated with your cause, and you want to engage them in your event. You learn that one family at the park is from a culture that is scared of dogs but you have several guide dogs at your event. The family's youngest little girl is particularly scared. The parents are upset because they don't want to leave the park. They're having a great time as a family. How would you handle a conversation with all stakeholders, including your affiliate leaders, the family, a park ranger, and any others who might be included? how would you and your colleagues determine a desired outcome and what steps might you take to resolve this conflict in a way that honors everyone's interests?
5: Great scenario. Yeah. You know, so am I.
7: this kind of I thing happens it. all the time. I love it. <laughs> I can't okay.
1: wait to hear answers to Sh- this. Sean, Sean field.
6: I ahead an unmute. I guess one of the things I would say is that and I've seen I've seen guide dog owners do this all the time where if you show the person look here's how my dog helps me and here's here's why they're so important to me people generally see guide dogs as you know very good dogs and if you can Kind of show them that not all dogs are scary, just because they've had, because that's their assumptions in the past. That's them interpreting the data that they've had, their uh-huh. <laughs> So, <laughs> they, <laughs> they're, so you know, I'm going to challenge Sean a little track. bit. <laughs> yeah.
3: Sean, I'm going to challenge that a little bit because, as a parent who has had an exchange student from a culture mm. where dogs were not allowed to be even in your room you i think the first thing that needs to be done is that the guide dog owner needs to understand the cultural mores of the other person prior to determining a way to you know you know bring about change
7: Uh on, on
3: their behalf and until we understand where the other culture is coming from, we can't really uh, attack is not a good word, but we can't really attempt to change their Yeah, that beliefs. makes sense. I go cool with that.
7: And I think too, you know, you're you're talking about a variety of of ages here too. So there's parents and their interest is their young child. So you know, even to just advocate your feeling about dogs are wonderful, right? That might not make sense to you know, certain ages, like a little girl. How are you going to make that um, make that connection as well? Anyone else have thoughts about this scenario? Uh, Marissa, you should be able to
8: unmute. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, make a comment. And the comment that I want to make is that, um, as someone said before me, um, it is really and truly important to understand the culture and the culture's perception towards um something like um deep guide dog or 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 something else, it's uh, important that we um understand where the culture, like our no culture, um some the way they, do. and then um after we understand what the culture is, what the, how the culture views this, to kind of. Uh, Educate them. Okay, this is how my guide dog um, helps me out. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. It doesn't have to do anything with a guide dog, but um, it does have to do with um, something. What I just said. Um, mm-hmm. I volunteer at the Caldean Community Foundation, and majority of the people that I interact with, um, they have not been blind um, uh, since birth, but they have become blind later in life. And their perception uh, about blindness is totally um, different. Sometimes even shocking. Um, But it was important to me to um, find out why they view things the way they do, and then I could educate them. Okay, so I have been blind since birth, and this is how I. um, This is how I um, go um, from. Day, day to day. This is my daily. This is my daily routine. This is how I do things. It is possible. In other words,
7: mm-hmm. thank you. Wonderful. Much. That was great. Anything? Anything um, new that we haven't heard before forward? about this scenario? Um. Je-
1: Oops. Wait a minute. Janine Lee. Hi.
9: Hi.
7: Hello. Um, so, I'm thinking um, maybe since we're, it's a blind, advoca- blind advocacy event, right, in the park. That was what we started with. Uh huh. Yep. Okay. So, maybe we have like a sign. I-, I can't read it, but like maybe the sighted people in the park can read it. Like, hey, have a question about guide dogs. Come talk to us. It's or nice. maybe we like, we publicize it that we're having this event first. And then maybe that family, would come over and talk to us. I mean, the officers can talk about it before, but maybe if we have some signs posted, like, hey, come talk to us about blindness, come talk to us about our guide dogs, ask us questions, come be our friend, something like that. So I think that, you know, that's an idea of um, sort of preparing for a conflict or just being mindful that there could be a conflict. And the more prepared you are um, in this situation or any others, you bet, Sometimes you can, um, you know, kind of lessen that conflict or be prepared to find a solution when you anticipate it. Great. Thanks, Janine. Yeah, thank you. Do we want to do one more scenario or?
2: I think Um, we have about two minutes or so. We have
5: about, yeah, about two minutes. Oh, okay. I'm not sure
9: we have enough time. So if we if we if we take down the hands and uh, raise your hand if you want more information about those things. Give us one second. Hold on. Sorry. So yeah. So so take uh, take down everybody's hand.
1: Yep. (laughs) We are getting there. They're all lowered. Yes. Great.
9: All right. So now raise your hand if you want more. uh, (laughs) You know, if you would like more information. uh, You know, uh, more seminars on this subject
7: on oh yeah they they yeah, all do you didn't even get it out of your mouth they were <laughs> yeah, their they hands. all
8: want
9: it <laughs> all <laughs> right. we will we will <laughs> work it in out this room. we will definitely work it out and uh, and, right. and uh,
1: 16 oh i can't even count them they're going so fast that's great. 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 Yeah. okay great so okay we,
9: we got the idea
1: <laughs> yes you're you're up up to 20 and and counting it keeps going yeah
9: sure. that's great yeah. julie do you, you have anything any closing remarks
1: can I give the closing code so that we don't forget? Sure. Oh yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to give the closing uh, code for CEUs, and that is six two B is in Bravo one D is in Delta. I'll repeat it: six two B is in Bravo one D is in Delta.
2: Thank you so much. And I just want to thank the panelists and the trainees and and thank the attendees very much for this. You'll be hearing more from us. It sounds like you, you want to and that we whetted your appetites, which was our goal. Thank you again, everyone.